Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast with Stephen Bedall of the Production Music Academy and me, Eric Copeland of Make Music Income. In this podcast, we'll talk about our experiences in music licensing as music artists with online channels, our publishing and royalty incomes, and our combined over 40 years experience as music producers for hire. So let's get started with today's episode. Well, I'm so happy and blessed to be here with John Meyer. Uh, I say that right? Or Mayor? You got it right. You, you're one of the few. <laughs> I'm here with John Meyer and uh, so happy to be talking with you today. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time out of your schedule. I know it must be super busy. We're going to talk about that, what your schedule is like and how busy you are. Um, but first, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody on this channel. The very first question is, how do you make music income? Well, generally, how do I make music income? <laughs> uh, the majority of my music related income comes from royalties from my production music library work, you know, synchronization royalties from the library and then uh, performance royalties, international and domestic. That's, that's my primary way of making money. Uh, not so much anymore, but my main gig used to be uh, renting out my studio, producing bands, and I did that all through the 2000s, and and then it was probably around 2011 or 2012, I was about 30, and I met my soon-to-be wife, and I was making enough money to survive on my own, but not enough to think about a future or a family. And I started teaching. Uh, an opportunity came up to teach a production class at a like a technical college here in Dallas. And I took about 20 hours. I was teaching each week. And that is when I met the owner of the library that I still work for. And he, I had made this, I've told this story on my channel a few times, but I had made this ridiculous CD that I called Moody Grooves. And it's what I thought production music was. And it was terrible. And I, I gave it to him and he took the meeting because he was because of a friend of a friend. He was being kind. He went down and, li and he listened to everything and he wrote detailed notes about how it wasn't all that great. And then he <laughs> listened to my personal album and he thought, well, there's something there. And so yeah. he uh, got me to writing uh, my first production music album. And then that led to hundreds now, uh, about a thousand tracks. And so, yeah, I made I made my money teaching but then i was writing and writing and writing and made no money at that for years mm -hmm. and then finally the checks started coming in and they started coming in and uh about four or five years ago that became my main source of income maybe six years ago that is but yeah i still do various other things and somehow through this channel i've got some video clients which was a surprise but i love it like, so much and i'm just like kind of video editing going clients? where it leads are you editing no, for like people making videos Oh, okay. Shooting videos. Oh. Yeah. So this YouTube thing kind of came along. I I was releasing an instrumental album. It was like a modern classical Olafur Arnold's style of album. And I wanted to make video for it. And most of the videos were just like trees blowing in the wind, you know? And I thought, well, let me see if I can come up with something better. And I just found my way into the world of YouTube filmmakers. And that became such a passion. And then this opportunity to make YouTube videos popped up uh, through 
uh, Christian Henson and Spitfire, he really kind of championed what I was doing. And that's, that's how most of the people found their way to my channel. And so I've just been kind of riding the wave and seeing where it goes. I'm kind of in the middle of the wave, you know, I'm not, I think I'm going to land it, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. I feel you. Um, that was my second question and it's not even a question. So I thought I had an elect an eclectic channel. Um, but man, you, your stuff is, is how would you describe your channel? I mean, uh, I went through your playlist and I was trying to think, okay, let me get a sense of what he's doing here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a focused channel by any stretch. Um, I, I thought I would just kind of go with what, motivated me and what I found interesting and see where that led. And so there, you know, there are quite a few videos about production music, sync licensing and my experience with that. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, I just want to make, you know, I haven't killed it in the music business, but I've made a living and I found a way to make it for almost 20 years. And I love telling stories and I love what the, camera offers with that and what you know what i'm able to i love learning about this process and learning how to get better at telling stories and so you know i was just thinking about this today you know what is it that my channel is about and i i'm just a guy trying to make my way in music and life and that's how my music was when i released uh, my own thing you know it's just trying to be an inspiration if that's the right word to use mm-hmm. for people that are new to this business or have been around this business for a long, a long time, or perhaps they are musicians and they love music, but they never were able to make it in music. Right. Whatever make it means. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to be an inspiration to those people and try to be honest. And, um, but then sampling came along just, that was a random thing. And yeah, that has provided some income for me. And yeah. yeah. So okay. So, so I can't even describe it, Eric. It's, it's well, I need to I know sit down and focus. Well, no, no, not really, because I think people appreciate the channels, and mine is a very similar way. All I do, I don't tell people how they can make music and come. I just talk about how I do. You know, I talk yeah. and, and how others do. I talk to people like yourself and say, how do you make music and come and um a lot of us as content creators, we we make music income from those things sometimes as well. Not as much as we make from our, our other jobs probably, but could be. Um, but I mean, um, I, I think that's the all you can do really is speak from your own experience because I'm saying 20 years of, of 25, 22 exactly, or almost 23 of full-time music supporting my family nothing else no other gig no other corporate gig or anything like that other than the occasional church music job or now i've got a teaching job similar to what dave uh, croft does here in orlando i teach at another recording school so that is but it's still music income it's still making income from the music world otherwise it's this channel and my clients and um uh, just to anything, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So I want to talk about all your things, I, but I, I, I want to go back to licensing first, because mm-hmm. would you say that is 80% of your income now that supports your family? Uh, probably about 60 or 70%. Okay. I think there have been, you know, my wife also works and, and, okay. you know, she has a good job and she, 
enjoys that and wants to do it. So I don't have to, I don't feel a lot of pressure to make all the money for right. our family. And that's why I can make YouTube videos. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I realized a couple of years ago that I'm not a person that can sit and just write production music yeah. 40, 50 hours a week yeah. in, in this room, sitting here, do it. Mm -hmm. I can't, it, uh, it wouldn't, I, I'm sure I'd make more money. Mm -hmm. Um, but I look at the diversification aspect. You know, I, I tell people all the time in production music, uh, I have all of my tracks in basically one library because of the situation that I ran into and I have a catalog that I produce for it and it's my baby. I love it. Uh, I encourage even people that write for what I do for my catalog. I'm like, you need to, I'm never going to tell you just write here. That would, yeah. that would not make that much sense for you long-term. You need to develop other relationships. You need to um, get into other revenue streams. But for me, my diversification is let's see what I can do over here in YouTube because mm -hmm. it just works a different part of my brain. And there are some financial opportunities with the samples and, you know, perhaps a course of some kind. I don't, yeah. I feel like with my monetizing. teaching background, I could do that, but yeah. I find monetizing very difficult of this channel. So far I have like one little tiny ebook that's for sale for like $9 or something like that. I just, I, I can't, I mean, I have course ideas, I have book ideas, but it's very hard for me to, uh, you know, turn this out, you know, um, our different friends of ours have academies and uh, different, you know, things they run and charge a monthly fee for. I, I'm just not, that's not what I want to do with this channel either. I just have no yeah. thoughts of that, but I, I do see making products that maybe might help people. And so I get well, it. It gives me, when I make the product, that's also built in videos around the product. Yeah. And I can use those to educate on, on how I made it. And, and then even with, you know, one thing I'm trying to do more of is, write production music tracks that are actually going to be useful for me and use those to talk mm -hmm. about. Um, mm -hmm. Fortunately, I'm able to do that with the library uh, that I work for. And so I'm trying to find ways to make sure that my for-profit life is actually lining up with this for fun, which is basically what this is now. But again, I, I'm not, I, I have high hopes for what this could be one day. I've seen a lot of my friends' channels go from this to this, and maybe I'm on the curve of that, maybe I'm not, but it helps knowing that I might be, because that certainly motivates me to uh, get a look at. And then you have to think, you know, the relationships that I've developed are are so amazing and worthwhile. And even if I never grow, I'll be totally content. But I'd also like to see what could happen if I had fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. Yeah, well, hey, you're almost a ten right now, right? Yeah, getting, getting close. That's awesome. Um. So you got started about when did you get started in licensing in general years wise around two, I'm going to say 2011 or 2012 uh, is when I got serious about it. I, or before yeah, it was I guess cool. that's, that's when I'm my first. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, even then though, it felt like I was late to the party. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, but, but it was definitely, so much more difficult to find information about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I made that silly royalty free album. Cause I didn't even know what royalty free meant, or I didn't know what anything meant. And, and fortunately for me, I had somebody who came along and, and just dumped all of the information on me. And I felt so honored. I mean, I, I just, I, yeah. I had all this information that a lot of people did not have. 
And so with the channel, in a way, I'm trying to share some of that more difficult, even though it is easier, the channels like like yours, it's easier to find this information now. But there's a lot. It's not necessarily intuitive. It's not always what you would think from how the business works to what songs work. Um, It's, you know, it's not it's not artist radio that we're making. You know, we're making something totally different. And so if I can kind of educate people on just open their eyes to some new ways of thinking about monetizing your talents, you know, that's, that's kind of what I hope happens. How many libraries are you with right now? Most of my music is with one library. It's called Atomica music. Oh, okay. Cool. And I, I have a few tracks scattered co-writes and things with other libraries, but 99% of what I've done is in one spot. That's nice of you to mention it. So I, I take it. They don't, they don't care about that. They, are open to other composers and things like that or do you yeah i mean i've mentioned it on my i don't mention it directly on my channel but people can figure it out i mean i talk about what i do i mean it's not that hard and and they're fine with it they get a lot of submissions all the time anyway it's not like anything i do or, or you know is gonna you know triple the amount of work they have and they're all i mean every every decent library is looking for new talent. So I would hope that, uh, I hope they are. Although it seems like they're not, you know, you hear a lot of the, you might get a lot of the same stories from people that I get, you know, they just can't get people to pay attention to what they're doing. And, you know, I try to address that as well. You know, maybe it's something you're doing that you can fix. Maybe it's, it is just a tough business. It's brutal. I mean, usually to me, it's a, it's either they're not really trying that hard or they're not, uh, they don't have very good communication skills. And I get, yeah, I get emails now and I'm amazed. Like it is so clear the emails that I'm going to open and invest my time in and the ones that I am not right. going to, yeah. they're hilarious. It's just like <laughs> fill in the blank. They found a form somewhere. And uh, yeah, I, uh, it's like when students do their I resume and you, they just fill in the template, you know, I think I can be very helpful to your company. And every single student is using the same same resume and cover letter for their yeah oh i called i sent a letter and i thought i was doing a good job but i sent letters to the biggest production music libraries in the business when i first got started and i put the owner of the wrong company (laughs) on in the email and this guy wrote me back he was like hey um i'm actually so-and-so you meant to talk to because it's such a small world you Mm -hmm. meant to talk to, to this person and he was nice about it. And I'm sure he laughed and I felt, and I was able to share that story with him later. And I think he got a chuckle out of it, but yeah, uh, it is the way that we present ourselves really does matter. And that's part of the reason why in this new world of YouTube, you know, if you want to find out about me, you've got hours and hours and hours and hours to go find out about me. Yeah, You know, if, if you're considering me for something. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what I figured maybe in this new world of media, it's, it, it's not as separated as it once was. You know, when I first started, you were a recording engineer or you yeah. were a producer or you yeah. were a songwriter or a mastering engineer. And now we're all the same. So why not be a videographer and filmmaker as well? I mean, yeah. maybe maybe I'm wasting my time or maybe this is just kind of what it needs to be like moving forward. I feel like I've always been, my, my career has always been helping indies for some reason, whatever whatever reason that was. I guess the producer that I learned from you know, and I started locally and then I started regionally and then I went to Nashville and it just, it just 
the, the particular genre I was in, uh, it, the time I hit it, late 90s, well, early 2000s, really, the, the start of the indie revolution. You know, I tell people the story about how I was doing a jingle on 9-11, and uh, that was the last jingle I ever did. And everything after that was, you know, basically uh, Christian music or, or you know, mm-hmm. positive pop music because of that. I, I, I look at that as a watershed moment, not just for our country, but for for a lot of things. And it was for the music business kind of as well. It, it changed the way people thought about doing music. They, they suddenly said, I can just do this myself and I need to get out there and get my music out there. So I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Most of my work was with Indies. And so now this channel, this make music income channel is kind of speaking to those same people, except probably less artists, surprisingly, and more composers and uh, mm-hmm. which is, fine with me because I consider myself a composer and that's what I did my master's in. But um, so a question about your libraries or library, do you get briefs on that from them? Yeah. I talk to the, the, the publishers and they typically will each quarter will kind of go over what the library or what they need and what they think that I and my team can deliver uh, sometimes it's, I'm working with some people that have a very specific skill. And so we tailor an album or we do tracks right. based on that, but yeah, we'll, we'll get, it's, it's usually the, they get so many calls or they, there's a, maybe there's a new client that they've got that needs a certain style of music and they need more of that type of thing. Sometimes it's super specific on the actual client. And most of the time it's, hey, these kind of tracks do well. And I'm also trying to make merge uh, the label. That's what, what it's referred to as. Uh, I'm trying to spread it out. I'm trying to make it more diverse. And so I'll take on some some sounds that are maybe not as popular, but are still useful. Yeah. I try to try to balance that with the kind of music that people want, which usually means one, four, five chord progressions and I just get as happy as I can possibly be before I make it and And then I go I think it's important that people realize that a lot of this stuff is not necessarily like a brief that comes to you from taxi or something like that it's it's more of a conversation you have on the phone likely with Mm -hmm. your your contact at the library who says you know what we're really missing this we just need country or we just need you know Christmas Mm -hmm. or we just we, we really don't have any hip-hop edm or something like that you know that's not a problem with the one libraries i'm with but you know they will tell me we're looking for this we don't have this can you make an album of this and so i will and um that was the latest album i just turned in so but that didn't come from like an email that said publisher looking for this this and this and this it was more i think that people don't realize that the the relationship you have with the library I just talked to another guy recently um, and another library I'm, I'm with more of a boutique, smaller library, but he's, I said, what's next? What do you, what do you need next? And so he tells me in a general way, kind of not necessarily specifically, oh, I need clients to do this. He puts out very general type genre libraries uh, or catalogs. So yeah, I think people don't realize that it's more of that relationship thing. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I can't remember the last time I got a very specific. I mean, we do some custom projects occasionally. Uh, I'm technically, yeah, I've done some custom work for them, 
where it's a little more specific, but usually it's 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 more generic and not not as specific. And a lot of it's just kind of common sense. You know, you're you're listening and uh, paying attention to what's being used and what's and it's also like what what is the library doing well with at at the moment? I mean, mm-hmm. Atomica has grown into a huge library, so they have all kinds of clients. But sometimes, if you're working for a smaller library, you need to know what they do well. And yeah, not everybody has the opportunity to to get the answers to those questions, unfortunately, because there's a lot of us, and there's yeah. these libraries they're they're working incredibly hard, and they're small and teams they're probably. To, they're small teams and. And so that access is something that not everybody uh, can get. And it takes a while, it takes a lot to earn that kind of access. Right. But uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the relationship is is really the the people that are representing your music are the ones that are going to make it or break it for you. I mean, if they're talented and they're working hard and they know what they're doing, well, that's uh, that's how it's that's the only way it's going to work unless you're, you know, somehow pitching your music yourself. And so developing those skills where you can kind of, you know, obviously if you're new at this, that person who's giving you access has all the cards to, um, I mean, they're in charge of this relationship. They have the power and the relationship, but you still need to use your, your develop your skills of discernment and how that you, you know, when you're talking to somebody, is this, the kind of people that I want to be connected with, you know, ethically. And uh, do they seem to have a pulse on this business? And then, and then you have to make your music and just forget about it. You, you, if, when, when you connect yourself, that's, that's part of this process though, is, is breaking that connection between you and your music. And um, that, that sounds from an artist's point of view, that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I've learned how I've learned where my job is. Yeah. And I try to put as much art into my job. Yeah. But I also know that that's my job and I know what my art is. And that's that's part of what YouTube is for me is it's an artistic expression, uh, at least at this point, because no one's telling me what to do. You know, I'm not beholden <laughs> to any kind of big sponsor who's asking me to do certain things. So it also sounds like, though, from a from a music um a music composition point you are writing as much as of what you want as what the company wants like you're not just cranking for um for a company you there's an artistic license that you have and that you you try to keep as far as pumping out music not just making it because the brief said it and you're like i don't want to do this you you do things and this which is what i do i I kind of say Mm -hmm. yes i will do a country record but i'm going to write the stuff myself and i'm going to enjoy it somewhat as i do it do you would are you that part of what you do oh no doubt And, and i love the process like if it's something new i love and i trust the whole process that it's going to get me where i want to go is that if it's a new style well i get to learn a new way of making music. And so I go watch people in that genre make that style of music. And I watch, and, and it's, I I try to figure out the way their brain approaches the music. And, you know, there are some people who are not uh, theory. They don't know anything about harmony. You know, they're, they're just making music and some of it's terrible, but some of it is amazing. And so I'm trying to like, okay, well, what is it about this person and the way they approach music 
that it, I might get hung up on a certain thing, but they're not getting hung up on that thing. They're just letting inspiration. So I guess what I'm saying is I, that's the process that I love and I find so engaging yeah. on the flip side of that. When you hear this, one thing that I think a lot of people make a mistake on is they listen to music that is being used and they think, Oh, that's garbage. I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. And they go and they write something that is better than that, but it's different. And it no longer has what that editor or what that director, it doesn't feel the way that track felt. Mm-hmm. And so we think that we are, Oh, those are just hacks doing that. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm better. So I'm going to give them my thing. And then they listen to it. And they're like, that's a good piece of music, but it doesn't jump off the screen when they're, or jump out of the speakers when they're auditioning songs as being, that's the emotion in the field that I want. So to me, it's just as much about the emotion. Sorry, I'm getting a spam phone call. Yeah, I've, I have learned to uh, turn my phone on airplane mode when I do this, mainly because I'm talking to my phone right now. (laughs) No, only because I'm literally using my phone to shoot this. I, I, that's my best camera right now. I'm so, I'm so, um, I just am loath to spend money on this yet, this channel. I, I've, I've been well, trying to be very thrifty and use my phone and have a nice way it goes into the computer and it looks okay, you know, but, uh, but you when know did what? you make that Eric, jump? That... Make the jump for the camera? Yeah. And the look and all of that. Or did you do that from the beginning? Cause you sound like a film guy. So I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm just into it. And, you know, my dad always had cameras and I was always, I just got really into it. And one day I got a big, uh, a really big, uh, a check I was not expecting, a royalty check. Mm -hmm. So I bought my first nice camera. And then I've just got, I just wanted to, I spend way too much time on my videos, color grading and all that. But, but but I want, but this is what I want. You know, I don't, I'm not doing it because I think that, um, it will get me farther in this business because that's a good point. You talk about your iPhone. Well, my setup is about $6,000 right here, Eric. Okay. <laughs> and, but whatever I say, or you say is what's going to make this video work. It's not my $6,000 camera. Yeah. And that's just how, that's just how music is. Um, you know, it's, it, it is less about the sound quality, although it's got to be top notch and everything is good now. So it's got to be good. But it really is about how it feels and what the story. And, and those are the kind of things that you hear when you're getting started. And you're like, nah, I need this mm-hmm. microphone, whatever. But it really is true. And now I have other ambitions of things that I want to do with the film. So, you know, and, and I've made some money making film projects. So I feel like, okay, I can I, I can justify these purchases, or at least that's what I tell myself. But uh, it really, the techniques of lighting and room acoustics that is what is going to make your 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 video work and, and and communicate your message it's not so much the camera yeah so just trying to tie that back into what we do as as composers it yes gear matters i'm never going to be one i, I did a gear review today of an instrument that i think everyone should buy cuz it's amazing but you know it, it's it's finding that balance and not getting what you don't ever want to do is not do something because you think what you have doesn't work, but that just doesn't. Yeah. That's not an excuse in 2022. Yeah. And, and this is still just a iPhone 12 pro max or whatever, which is two years old mm-hmm. now. And I'll be getting a new one here soon. 
but uh eventually i'll i'll probably spring for a camera i just i gotta figure my set out i need a set like yours i i, I do think that the setting um if you look at and this is just getting off topic for a minute but if you look at youtubers like yourself or maybe even uh rick beato or um who else dave does a good job with this although dave is kind of like i feel like between the two of us but he's got a complicated all cool multi-button yeah. setup you know he does everything live and um you know i i just am not at that place yet but i i probably will be because i i I do talk a lot and you you tell stories and I talk a lot about my specific journey and you do too. And I think that's all we can really do at the end as we talked about it in the beginning. Um, all right, moving away from videos and, and, and sexy uh, settings in the background and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, what, so if 60, 70% is your licensing, what's what makes up the rest of your music income on a monthly basis, would you say? Um, yearly basis. You do instruments. Producing. Let's talk about those. What's that? Uh, sample libraries? Uh, yeah. yeah, I forgot about the sample libraries. I would say I have really failed at releasing these libraries. I mean, I, I released one for pay last year, and I've got another one. Well, I have one that just came out through Spitfire Audio, uh, through the piano book, but it's delivered through the Spitfire app. Yeah, that's cool. And I, honestly, I don't know how much money I, I made from that. I'm, I'll find out soon. But hopefully that number continues to grow and it's more about just the logistics of getting them done. I've given away a lot and I've made some money off tips and such doing that. Um, so the, the libraries, I don't know, maybe 10% of my income is, is from those, but hopefully that goes up. Uh, I made a couple thousand dollars on YouTube, you know, yeah. not, not a lot, certainly. Um, and then I have a handful of clients, like I have a nonprofit client that I, it's, it's a, group called kid links that I've worked with for years mm -hmm. and uh, they do music for kids that are uh, in hospitals, but that's kind of grown to be cool. more uh, involved, more types of scenarios. They have um, like music therapists, but also I forget exactly what they're called. So I do some of that. And then I have a handful of clients that still pop up from my studio days, but I've kind of, you know, when you, when you get out of that scene and you're not, going out and playing music you know i used to go play a lot okay. uh, guitar and such and i was around everybody and you'd get more work that way but when you get out of it and then i started i, I do make some money uh i was i worked at a church for 10 years as a part-time worship pastor and then i got to where i just had too much going on and i i stepped down i stayed there and they hired somebody and he was there for seven months and he quit and everybody was like i guess john will do it again <laughs> so now i yeah. got the job back because you know, it's my family. It's where we go. And yeah, uh, so I do make some money off that as well. But yeah, it all it all kind of comes together into something that, that seems to work. It sounds like uh, we're in similar places with clients where now that you are able to compose and make a good amount of your income from that, that production work is not as interesting uh, just for the sake of production work, for, just for the sake of income. If you remember those days where that was all the income. And so you took every job just because, Hey, it was income. That well, is and once you get the taste of um, the royalties yeah. and you think, you know, I could make a hundred dollars on this today, yeah. or I could work and maybe in 10 years that will have made $300 you yeah. know, or a thousand dollars. And yeah. so I just start thinking once I was able to save up enough money, and that was probably the hardest thing was to get 
quarterly ahead. Yeah. One quarter, two quarters, three quarters, instead of it should be in month to month, you know, all the time as a, yeah. as a, you know, just a recording engineer producer. Mm-hmm. Once I got there, then I was like, everything I want to do, I want to have a long-term investment as to what I want to be instead of, um, I just need to money. Now I've always taken some money now things because, you know, times get tough. We went through a pandemic, right? Yeah. I think we all got a little scared and I took everything that could make me any money. Um, but yeah, I, I try to, I want the money to be able to grow, you know, over time. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's, it's, it's really, um, I'm in that space right now that uh, I am in the pre-money part of licensing. In other words, I've made relationships with several libraries. It's just, they're continuing. There's hundreds of tracks out there. But I'm just now starting to get some placements uh, across Europe and things like that. You know, there's a, apparently a German library or music supervisor has found one of my albums on one of my libraries and they are just using the heck out of it. So that's awesome and cool, but there's not been any BMI side yet. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pre royalty, if you will. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've made the hard part, which is to get into some libraries, but the, like you talked about earlier, the one to two years of waiting for anything to come from that relationship is is it is a uh, is a part of this whole thing from what i understand it sounds like you went through that more than one to two i mean unless you have better luck than me you know i had some friends that did really well at the beginning at, at a certain library that uh, was really doing great with synchronization royalties and they made a killing and but that was not my experience my experience was uh, exactly what I was told my experience would be is that it yeah. takes a long time and then it starts to somewhat even out. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy how between my synchronization check and my international and domestic uh, performance royalty checks at the end of the year, it always ends up being kind of close to what it was the last time. And, and sometimes I'll have a down quarter and then I get a big check out of nowhere, some, you know, random, like Germany as well. We did well in Germany last quarter and uh, it was just some one big license. And, and I don't, you, you would lose your mind trying to yes. make sense of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think I did that for, for years and now I don't even read it. Like I, because it's probably wrong. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a good chance that I got paid for something I didn't do. And there's an yeah, even bigger that chance before. that I didn't get paid for something that I did. Yeah. And you can lose your mind over it. And, but everybody, like everybody, everybody at the library, they want to make as much money as possible. So they want to track down everything, but there's a point where stuff's going to get missed and it's nobody's fault, really. It's just yeah. the, the nature of a kind of archaic business mm-hmm. model that isn't catching up as fast as most people would like. But even then, if it catches up and it becomes, you know, a perfect, we get paid when something is used that might change the balance of the whole business and, and cause a lot of people a lot of grief. So I don't know. I don't know how all that's going to turn out, but I realize personally that if I don't have the ownership of it from the business side, then I don't, I'm not going to give it, I have enough to worry about. I trust the people I'm working with. They take it. And uh, I trust that they're going to do well with it because they want to grow their business. And then I'm going to, I'm going to waste my anxiety on, other things not that not that part of it because i've seen a lot of people get frustrated and then leave the business too early yeah. and there's so many stories of people who 
write a couple albums, quit. And then five years later, they get a $5,000 check or something. Yeah. And they think, I wasted five years. Well, like, what, what was I doing? The past five years that I was upset. So. I'm of the age where I'm looking at the, I don't, I don't want to say the word retirement because I don't think people like us ever retire. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't think, oh, once I hit 65, I will never like have to do music again. Cause I'll just be getting money. That is the plan. You know, I mean, sure. Retirement income, but uh, still, you know, my plan is, is composing and, and, uh, and, and being able to be freer because I won't have as much as of a monthly thing that I have to get. And so composition, hopefully, and licensing will help bring in some extra income as well on top of that. So I almost think of it as like retirement income, hopefully, you know what I mean? You know, like, yeah. uh, and, and, and I can then continue just to do, just to do that and do it as I like and, uh, and, and get away from that. So I don't, I don't worry too much about, oh, I, I'm in these first years of this. When is it going to start to pay off? I mean, it'd be great when it does, but um, it is what it is. Just like, you know, my production career took a long time to get going. It took five to 10 years to really begin a, to be a, a thing I could support my family with really well. There's also a point, there's also a point where it's extra money and it becomes money you count on. And that is the hardest, yeah. that's the hardest transition of all. Right. And I, when I made that, when the, when the brain goes from, wow, I got $500 to, wow, why was it only $500? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's, that's the most difficult time in this. And uh, I I know quite a few people who've kind of gone through that and I went through that and um, yeah, that you got to prepare yourself. I I haven't put this on my thing to ask you, but have you been involved in any stock music, any royalty free type music stuff? Have you done any of that? Um, Outside of. Yeah. Like putting stuff on libraries that are more, royalty free like motion array or art list or, or no. pond five or anything like that don't have the time for it no i mean only because the people that i interact with most of them who were serious about this never really had a ton of success in that world most of my mentors went the exclusive route where you know you write for uh, a library and they own it and they exploit it to the best of their ability but they own the copyright they have all control of that music so that the big clients don't have to worry about um, all the mess that you might get from the royalty free. Mm-hmm. Now I love YouTube and because of that business model, most of the libraries in that world aren't in the YouTube space mm-hmm. uh, because they value the, the, they don't, they're not really into the monthly subscription type thing. Yeah. And that's kind of a bummer to me just because I love the space so much. And I, under, but I understand why, those big libraries exist and they can charge those subscription payments. Now, I don't know. I think, I think the lot, I don't know if anybody can predict it exactly what it's going to look like in five years, Yeah. Uh, but hopefully people are making money on that side of things. I just don't have any direct relationships with people that have. So yeah, I kind of go with what has worked. I just had so much catalog that wasn't going to be useful for, for sync for, for, the production world. Um, most of it is, is personal music or I write a lot of like weirdo. Uh, I don't know, just, just things that probably would work for 
like YouTube videos or people who want uh, corporate video music or just holiday music. I do piano music. I do jazz. And those aren't really super helpful inside of, of production always. You know, maybe the piano stuff is. But uh, I just took all my stuff that I knew I wasn't going to be pitching to exclusive libraries. And I just, I put it all up on stock. Yeah. And it it makes me two, 300 bucks a month, um, which is not nothing. It's something. It's just a lot of work. And so this year I've really backed off from doing that much work for that because uh, a lot of those libraries pay pennies or dollars, not not hundreds of dollars. And so uh, it's it's an interesting thing to people who watch this channel because it's it's a it's an entryway into licensing for a lot of people who who don't get the the break of going and working at a place and meeting a person who says, "Hey, come on in." Dave Croft has a very similar story uh, to you of of starting at Full Sail and meeting a person who had a library and and getting involved in. And that stuff he tell he he tells it a lot, um. So yeah, and and I think if you don't find that, you've got to have some place to start. And so, uh, I, this is not a push for stock music, but uh, just a an aside type of thing. So I just wondered if you're yeah. involved in that. If it's uh, out there, you might as well might as well uh, put it in a place where it could do something. I mean, what, it's like having it on Spotify or having it on you know, and people buying it that way. Do you have any music sales, or do you? What's your artist side like? I, you know, back in the 2000s, I made singer-songwriter music. You know, I started as an engineer. That's all I ever wanted to do. Then I started producing songs and then started writing songs and then I started performing them. And so I made, I made an album and I, I did some shows and, uh, but I've kind of, I turned that part of my brain off when I started writing production music, just because I could spend a month and write one song with lyrics that I'm a case sharing with people but i could write a song a day and so i just i just had to just reformat the way that i approach music for a while and i never really got back to it uh, i think once because... you once you make music that is is useful to other people and not just for clients although i guess you could in some ways think of your libraries as clients or or bosses or whatever you want to think of but when you're able to write and produce really quality music that you that you like and can make have a back end. The problem with being an artist is the back end is just really hard to monetize. I think, you know, to get a Spotify that's doing something to get sales, all that is so twenty or nineteen nineties thinking. You know, the whole artist model is you got to be hustling. You know, and I think it's very tough for those of us, especially who love probably composing over uh, over gigging so to speak, you know, I think it's all about wanting to get out there. So I'm in the same boat. I just don't, I have no interest really in playing gigs anymore. And um, I do put my own music out, but it's more of an artistic expression than it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I can mix the two, you know, write stuff that will work for licensing and also be my own personal stuff. So I, I get that. Well, now, now with YouTube, I have, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, do you know who Andrew Huang is? He's yes. a huge guy. Well, he's even said, you know, that not, he, he does his own personal music on his site. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't like it. And he's even talked about how people don't like it. But he's like, I don't care. I, I like it. Yeah. I love making it. And there are going to be, be people that like it. And so I'm kind of to the point where with my channel, I know that if I write a song and play it, not everybody's going to like that who likes 
what they have from my channel. But if I could teach people things along the way, well, how I like the guitar, how I like the bass, even if you don't like the music that I make. Yeah. But now I have an audience, perhaps, that of people that would not have ever paid attention before. They might listen to my own artistic music. Uh, and and so that's a that's something I'm trying to explore, you know, getting back to, you know, putting my heart on my sleeve a little bit more with my actual music and sharing it through the camera. That's very cool. Okay, and scene. I think that's going to be the the stuff, the thing that I put on make music income probably up to there. Probably that's a okay. great way to end with your, your artistic side. I want to just talk with a few more minutes, and I don't want to keep you too long because I also have to do a podcast here in a little while with Steve. But um, uh, I want to talk about composition for just a minute mm -hmm. with you because um, when I look at your channel, the majority of your videos really seem to talk about composition it seems to be your heart obviously uh with everything that's going on um with your licensing and just as a as a composer in general do you think of yourself as a composer first or are you an engineer first or where does composing fall for you in your in your head as far as who you are you no know, certainly not what i thought i would be you know i started as an engineer and then i started having some ideas when people were recording. And then a guy, I'll never forget the day that a guy came in and this girl had these songs and I was co-producing the track and they were okay, but he took his guitar out and he changed those songs and they were so much better. And I realized I can't, I can't do that. And so I, I spent a lot of time learning how to craft songs. And along the way I worked with, you know, it was how much money do you have to make a song? 300 bucks. Okay, I'm free today. We're going to make a song. And then I would record a part. And instead of being like acoustic and vocal, we're done. I would add stuff to it. And I didn't play keys, but I'd learn how to program drums and that kind of thing. And so uh, it was just out of necessity. And so I, I, I don't, I didn't come at this from the uh, classical side of things i came this at this from the one four five six minor to mm -hmm. you know and then just was able to get all these skills together over time and then when i found the outlet and production music that actually fit then that's probably when i started calling myself a composer but even then it composer. feels weird to, you know media composer i don't I, that's kind of what the word that i use to describe what it is i do but even then i don't feel any anything like you know Hans Zimmer I mean I could I could copy a little Hans Zimmer piece you know with strings and make it sound okay but I don't feel I just maybe it maybe it's insecurities and uh but I'm more of the throw it all together and mix it all up and see what comes out type of composer which I guess is whatever composer would say they are so. well but I I I started out that way I, at 13 I just started writing songs and and I just imagined that my life would be publishing a publishing deal that would be that was the not a record deal but a publishing deal with a company somewhere in LA or Nashville or something and to be and and what's happened is after getting derailed into a producing career for a long time uh I've gotten back to it now with with licensing, but really just, and then finishing up my schooling, finally, and getting a master's and studying composition. And I'd never studied classical until that, but now I do, I am back to being a songwriter or, or I, I would almost say a composer because I write more instrumental music than I do uh, lyrical music. But I, I am glad to be back at this place 
um, versus moving into production and then coming back out into into composing. So, um, so now as a composer now, how do you how do you start a piece? Well, I just did a video yesterday and and talking about it's kind of a live video um, about and I listened to a few people's songs and I said, how did you start it? What did what was the first thing? When you start writing, is do you have a do you have a um, process for like I'm going to start writing this song, and boom, I'm going to the keyboard or are you a guitar player? What's where does it start for you? Keys, guitar. Sometimes it's a cool sound that I find, yeah. um, but usually it starts way before that. It's what am I writing? Mm-hmm. And after I have watched and, and really thought about it and researched it, usually I have some pretty clear ideas as to what I do. Another thing that it, it helps me is that I am never, never do I believe that that very first thing that I record is going to be a keeper. So I don't connect myself to it as okay. something that uh, now 70% of the time, does it, is it kept in some form? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of it like I have to write this great first note or great first guitar part. And in fact, a lot of times I've found when I do like an acoustic guitar strumming thing that takes up so much space then I'm often either muting it or redoing that part as as a member of a band instead of a solo artist. Right. So that's that's the way that I usually go about. And I also try to look at it in a non-linear way as opposed to just like measure one, measure two, measure three. I'm thinking, okay, I'm A section, B section, and I'm going to do a drop here. And I try to like outline the whole piece. And again, and that way I know, like, I'm not, I know I'm not going to strum this thing through the entire time, but I, I might give myself some chords here and there just to define what it is that I'm doing. But you also learn how to like think backwards the more you do this and you can perform something and knowing what it's it's coming later. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And a lot of people can't do, can't do that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Your main instrument is piano or guitar or keys or guitar. Or both, guitar. guitar. It's, I'm a finger style guitar player. I don't. Okay. Uh, you're in the CCM world. Do you remember a guy named Billy Crockett? Name guitar sounds player. Familiar. Yeah. He he was in the Ragamuffin band with Rich Mullins. Okay. All right. And I don't know. I went to I went to camps when I was a kid, and he did the music, and he was a finger style guitar player, and that's all I ever wanted to be. So I did like these lullabies and played real quiet music and I've learned to rock in my old age. Now, as a, as a player, so you start a piece, are you a loop guy or a playthrough guy? Like, do you make four and eight bar sections like people talk about and then make an A section and a B section and loop it and copy it and paste it? And, or do you play through or both? Both. Um, I try to play through, uh, if it's, especially if it's a guitar piece, cause there's so many dynamic things you can do to keep it from being boring. You know, the hardest thing about this job, and I, I, I might say that a dozen times, but I, I do believe one of the hardest things to do is change without changing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you've got to, most of our music gets used in scenarios where people want to change a mood, they change the song or they hire someone to custom write it, but they're not doing that. They're right. they're going for a library and they're not thinking, I'm going to try to find the perfect piece. They're trying to find the perfect piece for 30 seconds or a minute. Mm-hmm. So I want to give them that without, so they, they could use all of it 
but it's got to feel like it's the same piece when you skip through it most of the time. Now you could have building tracks or tracks that pave a certain way, but if it's an underscore track and it's acoustic guitar, well, I want them to be able to use the whole thing. And so I got to creatively figure out ways to keep the energy level the same. And one of those ways to do it is just play the guitar slightly different because our ears kind of pick up on when things are looped. Yeah, I agree. And I think so much loop looping is, is taught. I mean, I teach it at school because I'm dealing with people who've never done a worked in logic before and they've, they've never worked in any DAW before. And so they're having to learn how to do an A section and a B section. So we do a lot of, I teach them how to make a four or eight bar loop, but what I don't have time to get into it because it's just such a compact class of teaching them the the basics before they go on to other things in the school. But um, is, is the fact that you, you can create loops, you can create a four or eight bar section and you can go back and forth from your A to B section, blah, blah, blah. But I always go back and I'll play the piano all the way through. Even if I have it from the beginning, I'll go back and play whatever instruments, bass especially, drums especially, and 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 the keys or the main instrument especially, so that it, like you just said, it changes throughout, yet it stays the same. You know, the loops might, maybe some drum loops or stuff sounds the same or the arps or whatever. You know, one thing I've learned to do that really helps is if I'm playing acoustic guitar and I'm strumming, at the end of the track, I will play a diamond or just a held out version of every single chord and anything else I think I might use. Hmm. And sometimes that's just enough for me to fly those in the certain parts. So I don't have to redo everything. Like so, a native sometimes instrument I have to sample. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just move it around and yeah. that way I have those chords and they were played by me in that moment. And the guitar strings were that worn, you know? And so, uh, I'll do that from time to time just to kind of, I don't want to redo everything if I don't have to. Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're doing your own sampling. You're making samples to use later in, if in the arrangement oh, process. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Very Absolutely. good idea. Um, so what styles do you, what, and this, I know this is a, a crazy question for people who are doing production music because we're asked to do so many different styles and we like to probably do so many styles. Um, but do you have styles that you primarily love to do mainly or are asked to do? Well, you know, I love to write minor chords all day long, sad music, but uh, that doesn't pay the bills. You know, <laughs> happy music is what people want to yeah. sell their products. And, you know, if you, you know, some libraries, if you are in the TV and film world exclusively, well then, you know, you need to write more TV and film type of material. But if, the library you work for does a lot of uh, their income from from advertisements well yeah. most advertisements are happy or they're slick and polished or um so I, I just try to make sure that i'm always pumping out a significant amount you know just trying to find a new angle on happy <laughs> that isn't claps yeah. and snaps but claps and snaps are still happy so yeah you know it, i just that, that's uh my yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I laugh about it and joke about it, but again, the challenge of trying to crack the code on why people like certain styles of music and then put my spin on it, that's why, that's what I enjoy. Agreed. Yeah, it is fun to do. It's fun to, to know what, and, and it took me a while in, in preparing for the C, unlike you, I, I kind of, 
when I started hearing about sync licensing uh, and it started to become a, a topic of conversation, this was back in the mid to late 2000s, 2010s, like 2016 or 2017. I started hearing people talk about it, music supervisors or people who were starting to get into the, they were in that world already and they were, you know, and everybody has opened up. You see these people that do seminars on this now and they, they you know, they have groups in LA where they get people to pay monthly and stuff like that. So I got involved in some of that stuff and really just to research the, what it meant to write that. And which is why I call my, my music company, the positive spin music, because they talked about positive all the time. They said, it's got to be positive music. And so I'm like, well, that, that'd be a nice segue from the over the head Christian space, you know, into more of a positive type music that is, is maybe more acceptable to everybody and not just, you know, preaching to the choir literally. And um, so it took me a few years to I mean, I, it's not that I've not written stuff like that before, but to really get the hang of it, you know, and I think that's not what, I think people don't allow themselves that time. They just think, oh, I have to get into this. I'm just going to throw some demos at a, at a at a library. And they have to think from a compositional standpoint, you have to learn to write that way a little bit and think that way. I think that's a great mm -hmm. thing that you just said, a new spin on positive music, positive spin. Okay, anyway. Well, um, and there's a lot of data positive music out there and so a lot of libraries are looking for more modern positive music that doesn't sound like the data but the reason why they want that modernized version is because those tracks still work yeah. but they all realize that there's a shelf life to everything and you know some of those sounds even though people still use them are not going to sound as great in five years so let's get something that has today's you know imprint on that same thing I did exactly what they tell you not to do. I wrote a bunch of songs and produced them and then pitched them. And they uh, they did get me a, a deal with the library that I still work with. And, and the library that's really going out right now and getting all these placements based on... Uh, now, the difference is I've been producing for 20 years versus you know a lot of people who... And, and all the people who played on these were Nashville players and Nashville singers and, and the high-end people that I paid. And most people will say, no, you should do it all yourself and and save the money. I kind of still like to work with all the players, <laughs> you know, and all the singers and and pros and and great, great, uh great talent rather than just trying to do it all myself. Where do you fall with that? You have a team that you work with with your compositions? Well, you know, that's been a somewhat of a point of emphasis for me is that uh, I even mentioned it in a previous video of mine. I do work primarily alone on my music. And it's not because I want it to be that way. It's just because that's the way it's turned out. And, you know, you, you guys in Nashville, uh, I'm so jealous of the community that you have of, of people that you can call. And there are ways to, there are ways to be smart about that and, and still make money doing that. But just where I am and the time of life I am and the hours that I can work with my family, it just made sense for me to work, but work uh, solely on my own, but I do work, I kind of get the community aspect with the people that I work with, mm -hmm. even though we're not necessarily working on the same tracks. Most of the time we're often um, communicating about it. Uh, but I, the thing that I miss more than anything is when I started, there was always people in the room playing music together. That was my, my first seven years of doing this, eight years of doing this. And that's just not the way it is. So 
I would love to figure out a way to do that more. Yeah. It's a, it's a challenge. I find that I have to end up getting partners who partner with me in my compositions and then we work together. It's kind of like, and I don't know if I'll put this in, but this is basically, you know, I've, I've kind of turned clients into partners instead of producing music for their music ministries and then go out and do it. They've realized how hard that is now. And they've said, I'd rather produce music that has a possible back end. And so now yeah. they are kind of partnering with me on songs as uh, and we're still hiring players because I just believe in it. I, I think I, I'm a great, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I, I do a great job, but I'm not the end all be all piano player. There are plenty of songs on that are in my libraries that I didn't play any keys on. I didn't play anything on. Um, yeah. I may have added a thing or two, but I hire it out. And they're uh, the, the lovely thing about the guys in Nashville is that they're not what LA guys are you know, as far as cost. And um, so anyway, well, man, um, this has been great. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to cut this up into a couple different videos <clears throat> and um, be sure to push your, your site and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything else you want me to push when I talk about, uh, talk about you and the notes and stuff like that, or just send them to your website or to your YouTube site or both? I would just go to YouTube. That probably makes the most sense. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Just a reminder to check out makemusicincome.com and productionmusicacademy.com. And you can find us both on YouTube as well. We both post regular content there. You can find me at Stevie B Production Music Academy and Eric's channel is called Make Music Income. We'd love to see you there. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to join us in the Make Music Income Discord server. Lots of great conversation going on in there, and you can share your work and connect with other like-minded folks. It's a great community. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.